Hello and welcome to the new series of In Conversation With, a beauty podcast brought to you by Global Cosmetics News. In this series, with the help of my guest panellists, we will be discussing how to rethink the cosmetics industry. 2020 ripped up the business rulebook, exposed social, financial and cultural and environmental cracks in its system and presented business with an unprecedented opportunity to re-examine and radically transform itself. But before we discuss what is possible now, it is my pleasure to introduce my guests. Good morning to Mallory Huron, beauty editor at Fashion Snoops, who is joining us from New York. Good afternoon to the Lady in Blue, founder of the Lady in Blue Agency, dialing in from the greenhouse somewhere in Holland. And good evening to Nicole Fall, CEO of Asia Consumer Intelligence, who is live from Singapore. Welcome, everybody. Where better to start than at the beginning and ask ourselves the question, how do we rethink the beauty trend? Mallory, what do you believe are the social drivers that are changing the beauty trend in North America? Well, socially in the U.S., we're continuing to see the influence of the Black Lives Matter movement on beauty terms, uh, beauty trends in terms of representation and also on beauty brands in terms of transparency and accountability. You know, it's really difficult to underestimate the impact the BLM movement has had on the beauty industry because it's a space that for so long has been dominated by white heteronormative aesthetic. But aside from the racial justice movement, a huge social driver that we'll see in 2021 is the notion of trauma of trauma recovery and deeper soul healing care. The personal, economic, and sociopolitical stressors of 2020 have had a profound impact on Americans, and this has resulted in a lot of trauma and emotional baggage. American beauty consumers will look to soothe this pain with the next generation of products that transcend self-care and really hit a more meaningful restorative nerve. Restorative is also a word that I keep hearing everywhere, so I think it's set to have a big moment in 2021. I love, for example, Osei Malibu's Vegas Nerve Oil and their Vegas Nerve Companion book for learning how to relieve tension. And also Alicia Keys' Keys Soul Care line, which just debuted its line of products that complement its website of holistic lifestyle articles that help consumers work through this pain, through the stress, and through the aftermath of the pandemic. And Nicole, in Asia, what are the social drivers? So in Asia, um, the things that are really happening right now um, are not as quite serious as what um, Mallory talked about in the US. Um, they're more societal based in terms of age and gender. So what we're seeing is a growing trend of male beauty in China. And, um, and there are basically shopping festivals here, online shopping festivals, almost held monthly and uh, more and more people are shopping online. And what we're seeing actually is male shoppers getting online and using um, you know, the confidence of being online to shop for products that perhaps they wouldn't go into you know, if it was in a, a real life store. So we're seeing a lot of boys and men in their 20s shopping for cosmetics such as foundation, lip balms um, and brow pencils. And, and they're really picking up on this um, through obviously the live streaming, which accompanies a lot of the shopping festivals. So, you know, male um, cosmetics and uh, across China, India and Japan are really, really boosting the APAC cosmetics market. 
Um, so that's a lot of growth going on there. I mean, typically, you know, I did talk about cosmetics, but typically it tends to be the kind of the safer um, personal care categories, you know, the shampoos and hair cares of this world. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see that, you know, um, men are branching into cosmetics and it's being done in quite a major way. And the lady in blue in Europe, yes. what are the social factors <laughs> that are changing the beauty trend? I think that the most important thing is that uh, because of all the lockdowns and Corona, the consumer became stubborn. They were left alone and that gave them a kind of independency. And the result is that they are, will focus more on their internal values that are red, more random. So that's the stubborn. And because of that, they are less focused on external audience partly also because there is no external audience for events and meetings. And the result is that they no longer will follow dictated trends and less following dictating trends, external trends given by companies. And they will focus more on in internal empowerment. So less focus on other people, the status and, and dictated trends, and more into their their own stubborn individual vision and to empower themselves as a person. And what we have seen is that, um, yes, we are not, we are not looking at the, the public, but we are digitally connected. Nicole, what are the digital drivers that are changing the beauty trend in Asia? There's been some really cool technologies um, being innovated and obviously um, a lot of this has been accelerated and we've talked a, a bit about this, you know, this year and last year um, around, um, you know, companies having to obviously catch up with what's happening. But, um, you know, contactless um, is here to stay. And, um, you know, going into stores and sort of trying on grubby testers is probably finished forever. So what we're kind of seeing is, um, you know, digitalization in those fields. And there's been a really cool development. Um, it's a Japanese company, AGC, which has developed a smart mirror. So we've kind of come across this technology before, but it's not really, you know, found a good enough place for it. Um, but they're basically allowing customers to apply their makeup um, and also receive advice from beauty professionals through this same smart mirror. Um, I mean, obviously, if you try and, you know, use your phone, um, you know, use the apps, that's one thing, you know, obviously, we could all put on lipsticks and so on and so forth. That's been around a while. But what is really, what's really hard to do is actually get in-person, um, you know, guidance as you're doing it. So we're sort of seeing a lot of those technologies come through. And there is this Japanese company which is uh, innovating in that area. So, you know, we're kind of overcoming overcoming the barriers of, you know, worrying about contact. Um, we're just also allowing consumers to have that, you know, one-on-one -on -one guidance, which they do like in this region, um, where, you, you know, traditionally you would have gone into a department store or into one of the, you know, um, beauty specialists and just get that guidance to know whether, you know, the lipsticks you're trying on look good and also actually how to apply them, um, you know, and, and bringing in guidance and techniques there. So, yeah, so, you know, obviously this region leads in terms of shopping, um, and live streaming, but now we're starting to really see some of the really cool apps come through on how to guide people to use and to um, purchase as well. And the lady in blue in Europe, what are the digital drivers that are challenging the beauty trend? Well, the most challenging thing 
saying first, of course, that everything is online, but that's clear to everybody. Uh, the most challenging, challenging thing is that um, we have been focusing in social media on high numbers, so big accounts, but we, the, we and the consumers start to see these are like salespeople, sales dolls, and they're starting to be less interested in um, social media people with high numbers because they, they see it as and instead they will focus on lower numbers so exclusive hidden accounts so it's more all over the place which is complicated for the industry and secondly instead of looking at influencers we will have a look at improvers so people that not are just selling things but are doing things with an extra meaning for the society and that can be female empowerment uh, the nature environmental issues um uh so the black Lives matters movement so something with a deeper purpose a deeper meaning behind so they will take over a part of the influencers and mallory what do you see as the challenge to the beauty trend digitally in North America? Well, certainly in the US, um, as elsewhere, the big conversation is all about TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Um, TikTok's ability to incubate and amplify trends, content creators, and brands is changing the game so fast that everyone is struggling to keep up. The appeal of TikTok is that content doesn't need to have a high production value or be super polished like on Instagram. In fact, sometimes the inherent appeal of TikTok is its low production values and kind of humorous nature. We've seen TikTok give rise to wildly popular beauty hack tutorials, viral aesthetics that influence the beauty industry like cottagecore and TikTok beauty influencers. We're even starting to see the um, emergence of TikTok beauty born brands. So, the lady in blue, what are the environmental drivers that are changing the beauty trend in Europe? Well, the, the whole lockdown and corona was a complete um, accelerator of the, beauty, of, of the environmental drivers because there became a new interest uh, in nature. You couldn't go anywhere except in nature. And also because of the econo economy kind of stopped, we saw there are no airplanes, we couldn't buy clothes, and we saw that it was all much better for nature. And we also realized we could partly live like that, for example, by buying less clothes and less makeup. And um, it all stimulated this trend so incredibly that it will like delete and sustainability will be so important. And that will be linked to the purpose economy. That means it's, it shouldn't only be produced more sustainable, but there have to be more in it, like less ingredients, real solution to re solutions to reduce the pollution. So internal values that direct to sustainability. And Nicole, the environmental drivers changing the beauty trend in Asia. So there's a phrase which is going to start to really, really come up a lot this year, and it's the round table on sustainable palm oil um, or RSPO. And while, you know, some regions, Europe particularly, is always, you know, further ahead 
on sustainability issues than APAC, um, for sure it's now starting to become more important to manufacturers in this region. And, um, and so what's really happening, and this is really sort of, of course, driven by business, um, you know, there's been a number of Japanese manufacturers, and they're not just in beauty, they're across food as well, and home care industries. And what they're um, having to do is obviously start to certify their products um, do contain RSPO certified oil, which until this point really haven't. And personal care products, cosmetics, um, and you know, home care detergents have all, all contain a lot of palm oil. And a lot of this palm oil, in fact, isn't even listed on the ingredient list because it doesn't need to be because of the way it's processed and, and broken up into new ingredients. So because of the Olympics, which hopefully could happen this year, um, we, you know, Japanese companies are under, um, you know, have been asked to basically start certifying their products um, to ensure that they do come from um, reputable palm oil or palm um, plantations. And, um, and as a consequence, this will start to come more to the fore. And then just bigger than that, you know, obviously, you know, um, you know, uh, irresponsible palm oil, um, you know, growers, um, uh, you know, have caused a lot of the deforestation in the region, and particularly in Indonesia and Malaysia, these are two countries where there's a lot of palm uh, palm trees which are grown, you know, um, habitats are lost for, you know, um, animals in the forest. And then also just there's a lot of, you know, child labor involved. So this is, it's a, a big topic. It hits a lot of areas, but it will certainly become something that we think, you know, when people are looking at eco or sustainable values and credibility, um, palm oil is the one that will really come through this year. And Valerie, in North America? Well, I think first packaging, 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 you know, the pandemic has really caused a single use packaging crisis, not only in terms of protective packaging, but also in terms of shipping boxes. I've heard it called shipageddon sometimes and that it was the year everyone signed up for delivery. Brands are looking to turn packaging into a sustainable contribution to the circular economy, not just another addition to the cumulative pile of waste. And consumers are also becoming more vigilant in terms of calling out brands on social media for packaging. I recently saw environmental advocate and Instagram influencer Patty Gonia unveil an 18th century style gown made entirely out of the single use trash that she'd used throughout the pandemic serving as a stark reminder for her beauty obsessed followers how ugly that sheer amount of trash is. I also think that we're really gonna see the revving up of the upcycled materials um, conversation. This is something that's been discussed at length, but it's just gonna continue to grow in the next year. Materials like fruit skins, seeds, oils, and pulp continue to drive a waste revolution in the US. Companies like Full Circle, Full Circle Ingredients are working to turn food waste into a beauty boom. And we've seen commitments this year from major brands like Dole. Another intriguing prospect I recently saw was Empiri, a brand which looks to upcycle cannabis root, a part of the plant that normally goes to waste and hemp production for a cannabis wellness line. Upcycled ingredients also serve to fix another issue that COVID uh, highlighted, which is the delicate nature of the global supply chain. Brands are going to look to what local waste materials they can use instead of leaning on unsustainable ingredients that are at the mercy of international trade. 
And just a final point, I also think we'll see a lot of insect-based beauty in the future as we turn to more sustainable untapped resources to fuel the industry. Companies like Entomobel are helping to take the stigma out of insect-based actives, showing how oils extracted from certain bugs are rich in vitamins, minerals, and fatty acids. So a super interesting area for innovation. And talking trade, Nicole, what are the governmental drivers that are changing the beauty trend in Asia? So there was a really cool um, article in the Nikkei Asia um, about a month ago that talked about cities after COVID and how Manila and others can build back better and hopefully a phrase that we'll uh, hear a lot more in 2021. But basically, it really looked at how, um, you know, a, a lot of people who live in these huge mega cities like Manila, um, they have huge populations, but really poor infrastructure. Um, sea commuters, you know, um, spend anywhere between an hour and a half and two, two hours traveling one way to the office. And, um, and literally, they're only covering a commute of just a couple of kilometers or a couple of miles. Um, but obviously, when the city's locked down, you know, due to the coronavirus, um, there was a bit of a chance for a do-over. And, um, and this idea about building back better, um, and also to think about how could communities, you know, particularly in these mega cities, and a lot of them globally are in APAC, um, how they could come back, you know, cleaner, greener, healthier, more inclusive, and more resilient to future disasters. Again, because it's part of the world, you know, if we're not dealing with coronavirus, we're dealing with, you know, the typhoons or the forest fires which blow through. So, you know, what um, was really interesting was that in places like Manila, people are hopping on bicycles for the first time um, and they've never, ever really, you know, gone on bicycles before. And people were kind of seeing, you know, a, a new way of doing things. And so how does this link back back? back to beauty well you know when consumers have got more time in their day to spend on themselves um when they're not spending all their time sitting you know on a, on a crowded bus um you know there's just more time to and i'm sorry it's very you know uh, consumerist but there's more time to spend there's more time to spend on yourself and there's more occasions which open up you know going to dinner catching up with friends you know these all require um you know to look and dress a certain way and that's kind of the idea of how traditionally progress was made in the past so, yeah, so, you know, um, there does seem to be quite a lot of conversation as part of the world about, you know, how do we build back better? And it's really optimistic and encouraging, actually. And the lady in blue, how do we yeah, build the, back better using governmental drivers? The, the most important uh, governmental driver will be health. And until now, it was really scientific and also the approach on the whole COVID and we start to realize more and more that there is more than scientific health, uh, like hospitals, and it's more on a feeling and spiritual side. It's like the effect of loneliness and all the ways you feel, and and that that makes health unhealthy. So we start to realize that these elements have so much value and also focus on healthy food, the base of everything. And uh, if you translate it to the cosmetic industry, the products will refer to that non-scientific health, so more spiritual, more based on feelings and empowerment. And Mallory, you are about to change governments in the US. Um, what would be the drivers that you see um, that are changing the beauty trend. Right, it's a very exciting time. And I see this playing out in three 
uh, key areas in the U.S., uh, sustainability, drug policy, and social justice. First, as you mentioned, with the incoming Biden-Harris administration, they have an ambitious plan to address environmental change. We'll have to see how much of that agenda they can actually accomplish with the U.S. Senate still up for grabs. But I think we're really seeing this focus on sustainability before, not after the pandemic dust settles. So that's going to result in some really exciting legislation in early 2021. For the beauty industry, we've already seen slow but steady progress in terms of legislation. In June, Washington State passed a beauty uh, wipes packaging law that required all beauty wipes to be labeled with a no flush uh, label. While in September, California passed the Toxic Free Cosmetics Act which established a state-level ban of 24 ingredients from beauty and personal care products. Next, in terms of drug policy, this will be a major factor going forward. The House of Representatives recently passed an important bill decriminalizing marijuana, and the U.S. is just moving steadily towards nationwide decriminalization. In addition to marijuana, the concept of psychedelic substances, already a trending wellness topic, is set to arise with mushrooms continuing to influence the beauty and wellness spheres. Lastly, I also think that we're going to see legislation in terms of social justice. This year, we saw some exciting new bills to address discrimination within beauty, namely the Crown Act, which passed in the House. The Crown Act seeks to eliminate hair discrimination directed towards people of color, and it's really just the beginning of legislation that encompasses the intersectionality of beauty, race, identity, and politics. And lastly, the lady in blue, who is already innovating across Europe? What I think is that we are not going to look at who is innovating. We are going to look at the future and we start to try to start and understand what opportunities are in that future and which opportunities match our company and which possibilities there are. So it's not looking at competitors that are doing well, but you look at the future, your own company, company and how you can combine those into a bright future full of positive opportunities. So you look inside instead of externally. And Nicole, in Asia, who is looking to the future? So the kind of uh, problems that some of the big companies are trying to solve over here um, are basically some of the issues that obviously were exacerbated by coronavirus and the issues around, you know, how do you ship goods within the region? So what we're seeing is, you know, um, some of the big brands in Japan. So at Cosme is a well-known beauty portal where, um, you know, millions of consumers get their information on new products. But they can also shop for new products there and they also have standalone stores. Um, a growing percentage or grow a growth, sorry, a growing um, number of their consumers are obviously um, Chinese shoppers. And once travel um, barriers were put into place, Chinese shoppers could no longer go to China, uh, to Japan, I'm sorry, and shop. But also there was issues in even shopping online and getting these um, products over to China. So what we've really seen is um, how do companies get around these logistics issues? And so there's just going to be more um, problem solving around, you know, the cross-border e-commerce, which in this part of the world, you know, it really does involve complex product management, um, you know, and goods being stored in one country and being shipped to order. And now a lot of these processes will just be simplified. And so that's really what we're seeing from Alibaba, which, you know, is so dominant in the region anyway. 
And then on top of that, um, in 2020, there was a number of mature consumers, um, people who are considered baby boomers and Gen Xers, um, shopping online for the first time. And, you know, Alibaba is obviously very, very keen on keeping them online. So, you know, these two, um, you know, consumer segments are viewed as untapped growth opportunities. So we expect to see a lot more, um, you know, a, a lot more efforts kind of going in into trying to, uh, um, you know, reach out um, and also to keep, on, you know, online shoppers happy in different demographics than the typical kind of millennials um, that we've seen in the past. So, you know, it's it's really based around, you know, logistics and problem solving, but we're already starting to really see results here. And Mallory, who is innovating in North America? So that's such a big question. As much as this time has been challenging, it's created some really amazing opportunities for innovation. Some brands that come to the top of my mind in terms of this continuous fusing of the wellness and beauty industries. Dr. Bronner's soap brand has continued its Heal Soul line, which speaks to that concept of trauma care and soul care that I was discussing earlier. Their efforts are going to fund psychedelic research, which loops back into that concept of legislation surrounding psilocybins. Also, we saw the pandemic uh, really support simple self-care tools. No brand has been more influential or prolific than Wildling. Their gua sha stones continue to sell out, and they recently introduced their aura collection for body um, support and dry brushing. And I think you know, every beauty brand is moving quickly to add uh, tools onto their site and to their product lineup. Uh, Dr. Elsa Jungman is also doing a great job with their debut minimal skincare line and also by educating consumers about the skin microbiome. The skin microbiome, of course, being a big topic of conversation during and definitely post-pandemic. I follow them on Instagram and they're constantly posting these webinars about how to learn more about your skin, which is a really interesting way of consumer engagement. Speaking of the microbiome, For the Biome isn't a new brand, but as we look at the microbiome more and that becomes a huge buzzword, they're really getting a fresh appreciation. I also really like Holy Frog. Their concept of situational cleansing has real staying power in terms of getting to know your skin and choosing what product to use to best uh, suit your skin's needs. They're super intentional with their product line expansion, which I think launch weary consumers are really appreciative of. They recently launched a non-cleanser product, their first non-cleanser product with the hydrating serum. And there was a, just a lot of really good brand communication on why they chose the ingredients they did, why they decided to make another product at all and why they believe in it. It makes a product launch much more meaningful than just, hey, here's another product and here's why you should buy it. And with that, I would like to thank Mallory, the lady in blue and Nicole for taking part and for you, the listener, for listening.